0: Welcome to the Market Leaders Podcast, where you'll find valuable marketing and business development insights from innovative thinkers. The podcast series is brought to you by Ackert, the company behind Pipeline Plus. Tired of overcomplicated CRM? Pipeline Plus is the easiest business development tool you'll ever use. It helps you organize and focus on your most important relationships – With instructional e-learning tutorials and concrete suggestions from our built-in AI, Pipeline Plus gives you everything you need to get new business from your existing network. Visit ackertinc.com to learn more. Hello and welcome back to the Market Leaders Podcast. I'm David Ackert, and today my guest is Gia Altrece, who's the Director of Business Development and Marketing at Neumeier Dillon. Gia, great to have you with us.
1: Great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Tell us a little about your background and your role at the firm.
1: Sure. So as you mentioned, I'm the director of BDM marketing at Neumeier Dillion, a regional law firm with offices in California, Nevada. I'm also the co-chair for LMA's D&I committee. So we focus on how we bring the DEI lens, you know, to the nonprofits, operations, and culture. And I also support the DEI SIG, our shared interest group, which arms our members with resources to be stronger advocates for diversity, equity, and inclusion. So I've been in the legal marketing space for about 15 years now. And excited to have this conversation
0: today. Yeah, well, I know how excited you are about DEI and uh, you and I have had many conversations about this. I'm pleased to be volunteering on the DEI committee this year for LMA as well.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, as part of those conversations, we wanted to make sure that we acknowledge Black History Month and had a special episode focused on this topic. I know you've got a quote in mind as it pertains to Black History Month. Why don't we kick off with that?
1: So when we're thinking about Black History Month, you know, I was thinking about President Barack Obama's 2016 speech, and what he said was, it's about the lived, shared experience of all African Americans, high and low, famous and insecure, and how these experiences have shaped and challenged and ultimately strengthened America. It's about taking an unvarnished look at the past so that we can create a better future. It's a reminder of where we as a country have been so that we know where we need to go. And I think that's incredibly powerful and really shapes the conversation for today.
0: I love that. You know, um, I've been thinking a lot over the last year about this concept of white standardization, something which, frankly, I hadn't even had in my vocabulary prior to Black Lives Matter. This is one of those things where the more you start looking for it, the more you see it. Uh, In fact, I was just reviewing NALP's diversity report of US law firms, and it talks about the wide disparity among the partner body for all racial and ethnic groups and for women. Black partners are represented by just over 2% at US law firms. Black women associates has improved by only one-tenth of a percentage point in 11 years. So when we think about this concept of white standardization, it's really the air we breathe. And we see it when reports uh, kind of bring to the forefront uh, the disparities that we have allowed to perpetuate and, uh, you know, that perhaps we aren't doing as much as we could to battle. So I wanted to spend some time with you today, Gia, really thinking about and talking about what law firms can do tactically to make positive contributions to the diversity movement. And before we dive into that, I want to be fair. right? I want to recognize that, let's say I'm the managing partner of a law firm that really struggles with diversity, especially at the partner level and you know here's these statistics and here's the term white standardization my reaction might be well look this is an inventory problem i mean if we could have good lawyers at the partner level with books of business we'd certainly lateral them in or we'd groom them you know we're it's not like we're an overtly racist organization for running a business we're trying to make smart business decisions and you know we've just found ourselves uh, in this set of circumstances so how do we address some of this dynamic that seems to be so pervasive and so difficult to transform?
1: Well, I think it would start in how are we looking at DEI, right? So if you're continuing to, definition of insanity, you're continuing to do things over and over again and expecting different, different results, then we need to look at what is the expectation and what is it that we're really doing? You know, to your point around, it's an inventory problem. Um, I challenge that. I challenge that in understanding, you know, where are we recruiting from? What are we, you know, what's the retention look like? What are the concerns of those that may be leaving? How are we addressing those? So all of these are subtasks within a key DEI pillar. And I would challenge law firms to really look at DEI as a a business imperative within itself, not a subtask of a separate group but of a key DEI pillar within the organization or within the company in which you're looking at. And so you can really start unpacking those layers within that to start challenging what your goals are and how you're actually meeting them.
0: That's such a good point. We at Ackert help a lot of law firms with their strategic plans and those pillars tend to look like this. Oh, we need to expand our footprint into the Southeast region or, oh, you know, we really need to launch a biotech practice or, hey, let's recruit, you know, at least five laterals this year with uh, X amount of book of business, right? It's it's very much dollars and cents business driven. And any DEI oriented Mm -hmm. initiative, as you say, is, you know, tucked away in the HR column. It's one of the things we're certainly going to make some effort at, but it's not like we're prioritizing it as these are one of the five business imperatives for the year. Very very rarely do you see a law firm prioritize it at that level such that it's hell or high water. And I think that's the first step as you point out is we need to put DEI on the hell or high water list and not just on the nice to haves list. If we are going to see real change, we need to stop making reasonable efforts to evolve DEI. And we need to start being unreasonable about it because the circumstances are unreasonable. This isn't something that's going to be easy to change. It's something that we have to really put our shoulder behind.
1: And I think the key word that you just said earlier was, you know, all of these pieces were focused areas, right? So there was intentionality behind them. So how do we bring that intentionality to diversity, equity, and inclusion? True, focused intentionality. And I think that means that, to your point, how do we start getting unreasonable? How do we become so engaged in the process that there are accounting measures put in place, that there's a strategic plan put in place, and that we are thinking about the DEI lens in every area of the business scope?
0: As with most change that is driven at a law firm, this has really come to the fore because clients have demanded it. They put into their RFPs, you know, don't just send me a team made up of white men, right? Like I wanna see some diversity in the legal team that you are proposing to work with, with me at my company. And so at least for the sake of optics, many firms are putting more of an effort behind a diverse workforce but it goes beyond just the intention of being able to check the optics box. It really, as you say, follows this uh, through line of being intentional at a much deeper level, not just because you wanna make the clients happy, but because the firm is internalizing DEI as a core value. Tell me a little bit about what you're seeing. I know, especially within the, the SIG and the committees that you participate in, you interface with lawyers and law firms, who demonstrate a range of prioritization when it comes to this?
1: I think the first step was making sure we have diverse pitch teams, right? And so now it's taking it one step deeper to say, you know, we have diverse pitch teams. Did we receive that work? Yes or no. Who has confirmed on the team and ensuring that that team is actually those that were pitched, that were a part of the pitching process. And then we're seeing that certain, you know, companies are actually asking for specific software that they can track to ensure that those that were pitched are actually receiving the work. And when there aren't per se those checks and balances, we have some you know, great law firms that are saying, no, 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 we are making sure that uh, that attorney team is in fact getting the work that they say they are. And I think that it's even going beyond to the next step, which is thinking about the breadth of opportunity that's being provided to, all, to everyone at the firm, who hasn't had a chance? How can we leverage that experience? How can we bring in different attorneys into the mix? And I think that's an opportunity for us as legal marketers to start thinking through that. How can we offer more opportunities across the board? How can we use our voice to be advocates too? So that way it is not just the same few attorneys, but it is a diverse mix up of a variety of different pieces. We like to see the diversity, but we also need to think beyond just seeing what diversity looks like. And that's, you know, multiple layers that we have an ability to really think through from geographic location to practice area to, you know, all, of the, all marginalized groups, um, that they are a representation of the firm in all of those different uh, opportunities that we have with clients. And so that's what we're seeing is how do you take it beyond just the pitch into accountability measures? and that i think is going to help also drive the equity conversation on who's getting these opportunities how do they have the experience to build their book so we can you know move associates into the partnership track and above
0: you know that word accountability that you just used really is the leverage point here because if we're going to put together a pitch team for the sake of optics if we're going to proactively not prompted by our clients but proactively put software in place that holds us accountable to it, even before the clients demand it, that's us taking responsibility for this as a business pillar. That's us saying, hey, we're actually holding ourselves accountable. You don't need to. That's how deeply we believe in this and how firmly we're going to be pushing this issue forward.
1: Absolutely. Because you have to think, you know, bias can sometimes creep up. I don't believe that it's someone's intention to say, yes, my bias is showing and so I go to these attorneys all the time or when, an att- when a client asks for something, you know, I just go to the person that I work with most often. It's just unconscious. And so by placing those checks and balances in place, we're ensuring that we're demonstrating we care and that we will achieve that business imperative.
0: You know, I'm thinking it was just a short five years ago when we launched something called the Women Leaders Forum. And we launched it because we uncovered a report that identified that only 2% of managing partners in the U.S. were women. And that was just a shocking statistic. And we said, okay, there needs to be more leadership development. There need to be more leadership opportunities for women, and we need to put our effort behind raising awareness around the conversation. And I will say that that is one needle that has been moved significantly in that time. Now, some of this is, of course, there've been a lot more uh, women lawyers entering the workforce, and there's been a lot of emphasis around everything from gender diversity and the Me Too movement and, and so on. And we're seeing that there is definitely a stronger presence in women in leadership roles. Now, not necessarily all the way up to managing partner, but practice group leaders, right? Equity partners, there are definitely more women to a significant degree than there were five years ago. But of course, we know that the BIPOC issue is much more complicated than that. And that, again, that white standardization is more prevalent than even male standardization. And so I think back to all of the women's groups that were formed five years ago. Oh, let's put together a business development for women group, or, hey, let's have a special interest group for the women at our firm, right? So we, these kinds of initiatives became very popular in particular five years ago. But we don't see as much of that happening for people of color, for, for BIPOC within law firms. Uh, and I'm wondering what you observe about that.
1: I would agree. I think that the Women's Initiative is usually on the forefront to to develop, and we've seen that. But I have seen an uptick with other law firms establishing resource groups, or as some like to call them, affinity groups, around creating these safe spaces. And that's what I hear you saying, is how do we create these safe spaces where we can come together and create community and really focus in on what are the challenges and the obstacles and how do we remove them within these various communities? And I think that's incredibly important. And one step further is now how do we take those obstacles and those concerns, not only just how do we accelerate that outside of just that safe space so that people understand those obstacles? And so we start looking at policies that are put in place that may be you know, supporting that obstacle and it may not even be something that leadership is aware of. And so how do we then take those learnings from each of those resource groups and actually implement them into change that can accelerate and elevate the experience that hopefully helps us have more managing partners that are women, more people of color that are in a variety of leadership roles and abilities to drive and build their book of business. I am actually seeing a lot more than I have seen in the past of these employee resource groups that are creating this community. But now I would challenge us to how do we ally? Ally is a verb. So how are we being an ally for these groups to actually change the policy?
0: So... I turn that question back to you. What are your thoughts on how we can ally to those groups, how we can ensure that we are providing all of the support that they need, that we are being open to those safe conversations even if in some cases they seem inherently threatening. You know, one of the things that we point to here is sort of an operating system as my friend Jamie Harvey likes to say where this is the way that we that we function and the way that we've always functioned. And now all of that's being challenged by this notion of diversity. Let's function in a completely different way. And isn't Mm -hmm. that threatening at some level for those who have been benefiting for so long from the status quo?
1: Absolutely. But it goes back to your point of, we've been trying to make this change and nothing's happening. So you have to uncover that operating system and what isn't working in that operating system that may have worked 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago when the company was built. And I think that it takes a level of listening and real listening, deep level listening, listening to understand, not to respond. It takes an an ability to be comfortable in the uncomfortable, because to your point, these are uncomfortable conversations. What you're asking for is a redistribution of power, where has really satisfied many and not so much others. And so, It's looking at where power is placed and redistributing that. So it is going to challenge the systems and structures that are currently put in place that have worked for some, and how do we make those more equitable? And so I think that that's a deeper conversation for leadership to be ready, able, and willing to listen, to be comfortable in that uncomfortable, and to be willing to actually roll up their sleeves and do work. We don't want to call diversity and inclusion just, you know, it's a programmatic space right? We're putting on programs and initiatives, we care, inclusion, belonging, but how are we actually getting to the systemic change? That's a much deeper level conversation. And it's to your point is how do we do this? Well, we understand, we, we sit and we listen, we take listening tours, we get feedback, we make data-informed decisions on what is our unique challenge in our company, and then what do we need to do to actually move that needle? And so there are a lot of other areas I think you can think about around programs, right? We can, we can provide programs. We can provide training. We can, we can do these things, and we should be doing these things. Absolutely. But when we get to the systemic change, that's going to take a level of accountability. That's going to take a level of uncomfortability that you have to get ready for in order to actually impact that meaningful moving of that unique challenge that each firm has. And each firm's challenge is different. I would challenge firms to really think through what data do we have that can help us make an informed decision about the unique challenge that we have related to diversity, equity, and inclusion, and then build a strategic plan with accountability measures built into it to actually see that move forward.
0: You know, one of the other things that comes to mind is that um, it's important to remember that it isn't a binary. You talk about the redistribution of power and it isn't a matter of either we keep it the way it's always been, where you have those who have been in power and they stay in power and others are oppressed in some way, or It's the opposite where suddenly those who have been in power lose all of their power and all of that power goes to another group of people, right? Neither of those options are particularly attractive because they're both win-lose scenarios. We have to keep in mind that there's a third scenario that we're all working toward where there's plenty to go around. And in fact, all of us are better off and experience even more bounty because of diversity, but because there has been So little firsthand experience of that for many organizations, the fear is that, oh, we must be in a binary. And so I must clutch onto what I have because I certainly don't want to lose it. So that's part of the psychology that, you know, drives perhaps this resistance to change and this white standardization too. One of the other things that comes to mind is the importance of the words that we use. And this is, I think, where it started to surface most glaringly at our company, we started noticing ourselves using certain turns of phrase that were inherently racist or inherently had some sort of chauvinistic backdrop in terms of their etymology. And we just weren't aware of it, right? You know, someone would say, mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, you know, that 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 gives me the heebie-jeebies, and not realizing that we had just said a very anti-Semitic thing. And so now that we're starting to research the words that Uh, We had just kind of flowed into conversation and being more aware of what's okay to say and what's not okay to say and going back and cleaning it up if it does find its way into a conversation. I think it has really started to shift our attitude, our paradigm and our willingness to address when we make a misstep. And like you say, step into something that's a little uncomfortable and we've got to kind of navigate that.
1: You know, it's really about taking time to educate yourself. I really think that words have power and the intentionality around understanding the language in which we use and we choose to use is very important. It is the difference between inclusivity and exclusivity. To your point that you said earlier, when I started looking for it, then I really found it, that is the same piece here. Oftentimes you'll hear, well, I don't know. Tell me what the language is. I challenge you to take just a few moments to research it on your own, because the minute you open that, you can learn more and more on how we evolve, where things, to your point, you know, just become these phrases, or we use, you know, gender-specific language. I mean, I often hear myself like, hey, guys, or different things that you just don't think about that is just natural, right? That's right. And then I say, oh, no, 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 you know, let me step back. But you know those types of pieces that you don't even realize. But I challenge everyone to take a moment to educate yourself before asking someone else to educate you. Take that moment and educate yourself. There are so many resources available.
0: It's so great, Geo. Well, I, I just want to go back and underscore some of the things that you've shared with us. So number one, the time has come to elevate diversity, equity, and inclusion as a strategic pillar not just a nice to have, but a must have. And it's time to bring accountability to those efforts so that it isn't just being done for the sake of optics or to make sure that we get the next matter or that we make the next client happy, but that it's something that we internalize as part of the culture and our firms. We need to uh, create and support, and the word you used is ally ourselves with affinity groups so that people have a safe environment to have conversations about what kinds of changes are possible, what kinds of changes are uh, needed, and ultimately what steps will be taken to ensure those changes. And then we also need to be very mindful of the words that we use, because as you say, words have power, the intentions behind them are being communicated, uh, and we have to be careful that we are always evolving the way that we speak such that it is a reflection of the way that we think. Absolutely. It's so great to have you with us, Gia. Is there anything else that you wanna share with us before we wrap up this episode?
1: No, I just thank you so much for using your platform to educate. And we hope that this sparks conversations that move into action on how you can better understand your unique challenges and how we can collectively move to elevate our legal industry and beyond.
0: Today's episode was brought to you by Ackert, the company that solves business development problems for professionals around the world. Visit ackertinc.com to learn more about our consulting, coaching, and technology solutions.